You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Well, hey, good morning, Anthem Church. It is good to be with you guys. Um, my name's Stan. Good to be on staff here as one of the pastors. Was gone last week at a family event, and so I missed you guys. I genuinely mean that. I don't miss getting up at 6 a.m. particularly and setting all this stuff up, but I did miss being at church, and um, you know, it's, it's good to be back here worshiping together. So as Luke said, we're going to talk about money and stewardship today from the Bible. Uh, that's kind of our textbook of choice here. And so we stick to God's word. So we're going to be in Luke 16. So you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. That's where we're going to be. As you begin to open up there, want to open kind of with an illustration. And I, I was honestly going to go buy a Powerball ticket for this illustration, but I didn't really feel good about spending my money nor like the church's money, like expensing that out like Powerball ticket for illustration. But can you imagine, right? Can you imagine? I don't know. I, I was thinking about this. I think it was just, what, a year ago that the Powerball was like an, at an all-time high. I forget how many millions. Like even today, it's at $172 million. I think, I don't know, it's $300, $600 million, way too much money. And it just got to the thinking, as I do sometimes when I'm driving, I'm like, what if, what if you actually won that amount of money? Or what if you, somebody gave you that amount of money? And started, I was driving down the road, and I remember just getting overwhelmed with the thought of, like, how would you steward, like, millions of dollars? I'm like, that would become, like, a full-time job, right? It's like, what? Can you begin to go there, right? Like stewarding that amount of money. And then the thought kind of came to me is like, if you had the opportunity to win that amount of money or just not have it at all, what would you choose? And I was like, I don't think I would even want like the responsibility that would come with stewarding those millions of dollars, right? That's where I kind of got to in my heart. I'm like, that's like too much work. I'll just settle for what I've got. And some of you guys are like, uh, I won't ever have that problem because I can do math and so I don't give my money to the government any more than I need to so I don't buy the Powerball tickets. So, like, so you think to yourself maybe, I don't, I'm not going to have to worry about that. I'm not going to have to steward millions of dollars. And the reality is actually that's not true. The reality is, is if you just make the average household income, which is I think with your household, if it's $50,000, I think just north of that. If you just make the average household income in your lifetime, working over the course of 40 years, let's say, you'll have a couple million dollars that you will oversee and steward. Does that make sense? You will likely, and that's not even considering if you do the 401k with your company and your retirement fund, I'm just talking just what you'll earn in terms of salary, you sitting here will likely steward millions of dollars in your lifetime. And so it's not some distant thing like, uh, only people that get a steward millions of those that win the Powerball. No, I'm saying as an American with an average household income, you will steward millions of dollars. And so our text today is important to see how do we manage money. And managing money is important because if we cannot manage money, just that paper stuff, Scripture today is going to talk about that how can we be entrusted with the true riches from God, Right? So we're going to dive in here, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, he, that being Jesus, he also said to his disciples, the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, 
And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called, called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. Okay, we're going to stop there. What do we have so far? We have this rich man who's so wealthy, he hires somebody else to just manage his possessions for him. That's what we have. So we got these two characters, and this manager is seemingly doing a poor job, or at least he has accusations brought against him that he's not managing these possessions well. And so in verse 2, we see that he's about to lose his job, and he needs to give an account that is to, hey, why don't you show me your books, and then you're gone. Now see, in corporate America, they don't let somebody go like this anymore. My understanding of how this works, I had a friend that worked at CVE, they're working in finances and stuff. If you lose your job at this corporate company, they escort you immediately. This is the way I understand it. They immediately escort you to the door, take your key, take your badge, and you're like, what about the stuff on my desk, my, my family photos? They will box it for you and ship it to your house. Like You don't even like get to go back to your workstation when you get fired in corporate America. Why? Because I, somebody must have come across this. This is what happens. So this guy does not get escorted out. He gets a little time to reconcile things, and here's what he does. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do. Here's like this light bulb moment. So that when I'm removed from my management, people will receive me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill. Sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. We're going to stop there. We got more, but we're going to stop there. Do you understand what just happened? The the manager saw his fate. He knew that he was canned, right? He did not have a job. And so seeing that, he leverages his position for personal gain. How did he do that? He uses someone else's stuff for his own personal gain. In this case, it was was we and oil, right? And so he's supposed to be managing this for the actual owner, his master, but he leverages his position with the limited time that he had for his own personal gain. And so you get the indicator there in verse 5 that he goes through them one by one. Again, this is Jesus telling a story to his followers, his disciples, but we just have two accounts, right? The first one of oil, 100, make it 50, we, the 100, make it 80. How many times this happened? We don't know. But again, you get the idea that this is going to be a progress for him where he's just going through all these accounts. And in the end, you see that in verse eight, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What that means is, is the master, he wasn't saying, Hey, I'm really excited about you ripping me off. What, the, what that means is the master saw what happened, and it was just one of these moments where like, that, that was good. <laughs> like, that was smart. I'm not excited about it, but 
kind of hats off to you. That was, that was shrewd. That's what he's commanding here. And that's the word shrewd. He's, he, he's saying that is shrewd. And so shrewdness defined, and we've got it on the screen. That word, we don't use that a whole lot in the English language, but it means having or showing sharp powers of judgment, being astute. And even that word, I'm like, okay, now I got to look up astute. Okay. That means having or showing the ability to accurately assess situation and turn it to one's own advantage. Does that make sense? And so he, he sees what's going on. He accurately can put together and saying, I know how this is going to end. I'm either going to have to go get a job as a dishonest manager, put that resume out in front of people. I'm going to end up digging ditches. And he's like, I'm not about to do that. I'm too weak to do that. I'm too proud to beg. And so he puts it all together and he says, you know what? I can do this. And he, and he leverages position. And what Jesus is, is saying here in verse eight, he's saying the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus is not exhorting us to be dishonest, but rather pulling out this principle of being shrewd, being wise, being prudent. Again, we started off with the reality is, is if you're here, you'll likely, your household, be entrusted with millions of dollars in your lifetime to manage. Again, that's just how the math works. 50000 a year over the course of 40 years, that's $2 million. And so a couple million dollars that you will have passed through your hands. And so what he's saying is, is the dishonest manager, he knew how to use that money to accomplish a goal. And as sons and daughters of light, that is as Christians, how do we leverage our money for a kingdom goal? So here's a question for you. Those that have that money coming in, do you have a budget? Like, do you have a budget? Do you, what that means is, do you allocate where your money's to go? Do you tell your money what it's going to do? And Travis, who's in finance, he's like, Stan, it's not only about having a budget, it's actually like keeping it. You know, like you can write whatever you want on paper, apparently, but like, do you stick to a budget? And again, shrewd, accurately, kind of knowing the situation requires a level of like knowledge. Do you know the difference between whole life insurance versus term? Do you know what a Roth IRA is versus just kind of the, like the standard? Do you know compound interest? You know what that means? Albert Einstein said in regards to compound interest, he said it is the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. And in fact, in regards to the, the rule of 72, again, if you're coming to SEC, we're going to break this down a little bit. Albert Einstein said, said it's his greatest mathematical uh, invention or like discovery of all time. Here's, here's what this means. I just want to... So the rule of 72, we'll start with this. That means Albert Einstein, a shorthand way to determine how long it will take for your money to double, you just take the interest rate divided by uh, 72. So if you get 1% return on your, your money, every 72 years, your money will double. Well, you go with kind of more of like the industry average, 8% return in like a, in a retirement account is pretty standard. That means every nine years, the money you have in that account is going to double. Out of curiosity, preaching this sermon, and I admit I'm a little bit ignorant at times, I looked at mine the other day. In the last four quarters, the retirement, again, not a super aggressive count, is returning 17.1%. 
That means the money in retirement is going to double every 4.2 years. Some of y'all are starting to run that out. You're like, so how much money am I going to have when I'm 65? If it keeps returning 17% a lot, okay? Because every, that's just kind of the shorthand way. What does that mean practically? Okay, here's another graph, and it got cut off, but this is Dave Ramsey. He's got uh, this Ben and Arthur thing. What that means is you got two characters. Let's say Ben and Arthur. And I know it's small, but let me read it to you. Ben, he's, he's shrewd. He starts saving 2000 bucks a year. That's $167 a month. Starts at 19, goes to 26. What is that? Three, six, seven, eight years? And then just stops. Just stops saving after, what is that, seven years? I'm not real good. Eight years? Okay. So anyways, he stops. And his buddy Arthur waits until he gets out of college and, you know, after his first card, starts putting in $2,000 a year until 65. Now, before we show you the next page, the one only put $16,000 in. The other one is going to put $2,000 in for the next however many years. Compound interest. You want to know why Einstein said it is his greatest mathematical discovery? Next thing, you see at the end that despite the other guy, Arthur, putting in $2,000 a year over the next course of years, he'll never catch up to his buddy Ben. $2.2 $2.2 million. And again, that's just at like kind of an industry average of 12% return versus 1.5. That's compound interest going to work. Why do I show you this? It's not so that we can all get rich, buy a remote island, gather seashells in our retirement, and just take it easy. It's a desire that God's people would be what Jesus is calling us here, and he's saying shrewd, that we would figure out how to use money so that we can do kingdom work. That's why Jesus is telling the parable in verse 8. What did he say? He says, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And he's going to go on to unpack. He's saying that shouldn't be the case. Christians should be the best at managing money because they have an eternal perspective. And we're going to talk about that, but he but what that means is that there are going to be people that work in your same office that make the same amount of money and they will strategize and they will think hard about how to save and how to portion stuff off and how to invest so that they can buy a boat. They'll be so shrewd in, in how to money and then they'll, you'll go to lunch and it's a Subway $5 deal and they'll give you $5 and not include the tax because they want to keep that little bit of money so they can put it towards a vacation. We're saying there's, they're shrewd. For what? Things of this world. What we're saying is sons of light, daughters of light, that is Christians, believers, And here's kind of my pastoral tone. To see God lay on people's heart. Things like adoption. To see God lay on people's heart. Missions. Starting ministries. And one of the limiting things is not desire, it's not calling, but finances, being a preventer, and doing those kingdom works, those eternal things. Does that make sense? That bums me out. And the big picture, how shrewdness fits in before we start talking practically, because I think there's, there's a couple camps in here today. 
There's the camp that when you hear money, when you see Ben and Arthur, you're like, I, la, 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 la. I just want to have enough at the end of the month where like it, it's not negative. It's just positive. And so you're like, I don't want to think about money. It's some of you, I'm talking to you. You're like, yeah, that's, that's us. As long as there's more coming in than going out, I'm okay. What I think we're going to see here is, is, is that is not faith. That's ignorance. And the call is to be shrewd. And I think there's another camp that I'm speaking to today. You're like, let's talk about money. Because I was, I was thinking that maybe this. And, and more of the camp that I'm from where it, it's all right. You want to go there because there's more of a love for money. And the text is going to address both. But, but again, this all fits into a love for God and a love for others. How does shrewdness fit in? Because, guys, if we can figure out how to manage, again, it's just, it's just paper, right? Does that make sense? This is weird. This just has numbers on it, and it's just, it's just paper money. But if you can figure out how to make more of this, and if you can figure out how to leverage this, what can be done through being shrewd? Jesus is saying it's worth it. It's worth pursuing because your ability to bless others, to love others through that. And so we're, we're, we need to be shrewd, according to the text. That's the call. And to use this unrighteous wealth for kingdom purposes. And what we're saying is ignorance is unacceptable. If these graphs and those things are a surprise to you and you, you don't understand how this works, I would say the push to, from today's text that, that we would study this out. Because God's not silent in regards to money. In fact, nearly 40% of the parables, 16 of 38, the parables told by Jesus are in regards to money and managing possessions. There's 500 verses in scripture about prayer, less than 500 on faith, but more than a couple thousand on managing money and possessions. God's word speaks to this. And so God's not silent in regards to money. Therefore, ignorance is unacceptable. I'd say it like this, engaging with, with young college students, oftentimes former college pastor, not seeking wisdom, not getting educated, and just saying, well, I just trust God. That's not faith. That's ignorance. Does that make sense to me? Not alone. Like to be, to, to list your house and say, well, God's going to sell it. God, God's big. He's powerful. He can do anything. But you paid too much for it on the front end. You didn't do necessary improvements. You pick paint colors that would only be like acceptable by the, like the colorblind community. Like if, if that's what you've done with your house and you say, well, you know, God, God, God can do it. He can, and he might just very well do that for you, but that's not faith. Does that make sense? I, I get so frustrated. Don't God is not obligated to be any more good to you than he already has been through Jesus Christ dying on a cross. So God is not obligated in your ignorance to, to sell your house for beyond market price because you haven't done your homework. We ha- we're surrounded by a community of people, the, this family. There's people that are very capable of helping you paint walls, very capable of walking through your home and helping you understand what might work well to sell it. And so it's not, not faith, that's ignorance. What he's saying is we need to be shrewd. We need to figure out how this thing works. Because we're not attached to money. We don't live for it, but we need to figure out how to leverage it for kingdom purposes. Does that make sense? And so 
would beg you. And so here's the thing. Don't let me give you the impression. I am passionate about this topic. That is true. But I don't have it all figured out. In fact, you want to talk about ignorance. It wasn't until the second semester of my senior year in college that I realized I had over $20,000 in student debt. I didn't know the difference between a grant and a loan. They just said, here's your grants and loans that are going towards your thing. And so I wrote like a, a measly little check every semester, and I thought, I'm paying my way through college. No, I wasn't. So you talk about ignorance. And to think what that does in terms of stifling you as you get out. In fact, we, we were just talking about this morning, Austin and I. There's a young guy that would be great in ministry. Can't take a job in ministry for the pay that they wanted to pay him because he's got $70,000 in student debt. Again, some of that, I just want to at least think about what we're doing. Think before we sign those papers. As Christians, to not be ignorant and certainly in ignorance, not slap the label of, I'm just faithful. I'm just trusting God. Does that make sense? That's not an exception. And what he's saying is worldly people are more shrewd. Think more rightly about these things than you. And there's a reason it seems to to be Jesus bringing it up to his disciples because he's saying, sons of light, Anthem Church, you believers, the world is more shrewd than us. That's not okay. Be shrewd. Have the ability to accurately assess a situation and turn it for kingdom purposes. That's what he's saying. They're turning it for their own personal gain. Don't mimic that, but be able to see something and be able to turn it for a kingdom good. He goes on to talk more practically about what that looks like. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. That's verse 8. Verse 9, he goes on and says, And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, not if, but when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And if you got a pen, you can underline verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with, with that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So more practically, if you're taking notes, how? How do we harness this ability to be shrewd? I think the first thing is understanding that everything is God's. God owns everything. We're just his managers. Does that make sense? Everything is from God and it's all his. We're just simply his managers. And you think, well, Stan, I work pretty hard for my money. Yeah, with the health that God has given you, with the breath in your lungs that comes from him, with the, the ability and mental capacity, which is from the Lord alone, right? Even, even the money that you think you sweat out and grind, that is, God has given you that ability to do that. Make no mistake, he could remove that in, in any way. And so it is all God's ultimately. 
we're just merely stewards of God's stuff. And so how do we think about that? And I think that even frames in this idea of giving. And we use that word giving, but giving, it's not so much giving, it is just simply releasing. This reality that 100% comes from God. And so if you want to start at a starting point, 10% back to him, it's like, wait, this is simple math. 100% came in from him and he's asking for 10% back? Yeah, you get to keep 90% and figure out how to steward that, but 10% right off the front end, back to the Lord. In fact, there's even a, heard a story of, of a guy that was not claiming to be super spiritual, but he had a jar in his room where he would take 10% of his paycheck and put that in there. And one of his more church-going Christian roommates was like, uh, what, what's with the jar? Like, your money for God jar. He said, hey, I might not be a churchgoer, but I'm not about to rob from God. <laughs> like this guy that wasn't even claiming to be super spiritual saying, I understand that I'm not about to rob from God. It's the ability that he gets it. And so it's not giving so much as it is releasing. The first thing, if you're going to be shrewd, if you're going to manage well, you have to understand that it's all God's and we're just stewards. Okay? That begins to frame in how to think shrewdly. The second thing, what does he say there in verse 9? It will fail. This unrighteous wealth, this, it will fail. Eternity is a reality. When you begin to think like that, you can start to think shrewdly about how to deal with money. It's not a matter of if, but when. It's kind of like that old line, like you've never saw, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? You don't, you don't, Get to take it with you when you die. You just don't. It will fail at some point. And so you don't get to take it with you when you die. And so this reality that eternity awaits. And here's the thing is Randy Alcorn's got a sweet little book. It's like 114 pages called The Treasure Principle. But his whole big principle is like, you don't get to take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Pulling that from Matthew 6, and we got it for... For on the screen, Jesus said in 619, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he goes on in verse 21 to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This idea that you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. What does he say in verse 9 of our text? He's saying, use it to make friends for yourself by this unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. That is, leverage your resources here for a kingdom purpose, for loving other people, for sharing Christ. Do that so that when you die, that you can be received in and your reward is in heaven. And so that, again, aligns with what Jesus said about store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Use your money for kingdom purposes. And this reality in verse 21 of, of Matthew 6 that Jesus says with it is, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. I'm telling you, my heart always goes where I put God's money. Does that make sense? Here, proof. March rolls around. If you pay $5 and fill out a bracket, suddenly, a March Madness bracket, you know what I'm talking about? Suddenly, you start caring about teams like St. Mary's and Villanova. 
Like, you're like, I don't know who these people are, but I am rooting for this 12 seed to upset this, whatever. Like, as soon as you start putting a little bit of money into something, all of a sudden, like, you start to care about it, right? That's proof that, that where your treasure goes, your heart's there with it. Commission is here is, is that you would lay out for yourself treasures in heaven, that you would invest in kingdom work and let your heart be aligned with that. Let your heart go with that. Watch what happens when you reallocate your money from temporal things to eternal things. You can't keep it, but you can send it ahead. So if we're going to be shrewd, we have to understand it's all God's. We're just managing it for him. And this reality that it's going to fail and eternity awaits. And so we can't keep it, but you can send it ahead. And this last reason for being shrewd, at least in the text, there's a number of them, but verse 11. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful with that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? The reality is, if you can't manage money, this just, it's money, it's paper. If you can't manage that, who will entrust you with true riches? I'd say it like this. There's a direct correlation between your generosity and your ministry influence. What's it take to be good with money? What's it take? I don't even, I'm not good with money. I lost my prop up here. It's somewhere, right? So if you can imagine, oh, there it is. Um, again, we're working on this. If you, if you can't be good with this, it's just, right, it's $15. If you can't manage that well, what is scripture? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, who's going to entrust you with, with true riches? If you let this stuff get a hold of your heart, like these material things, what's it take to be good with money? A selfless, eternal mindset, understanding that God alone is the source of goodness, that we rest securely in him. And so this selfless, eternal mindset to be good with money. If you can have that, man, you can be good with money. What's it take to be good in ministry? A selfless, eternal mindset then understanding our source of goodness is in God alone. It's the same mindset. How you deal with money is the same mindset and how you deal in ministry. What that means is you can't be selfish with your money, spend it on yourself, think only about yourself with your money, then all of a sudden be this completely selfless person in regards to ministry. The promise in verse 11 is these things track together. You can't do one without the other. And if you can't steward your money well, you're not going to have ministry opportunities given to you. I mean, I know I'm a pastor, but you break that down and explain that to me any other way than what Jesus is intending to say there. And it's the reality of this. The answer why that's true is in verse 13, that you can't serve two masters. For you'll either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he's saying you can't do those things simultaneously. And notice he's saying, what it means is serving money is at odds with serving God. Those two things are at odds. And notice I didn't say money is at odds with God. Serving money is at odds with serving God. Money is just, it's neutral. 
It's neither bad nor good. It's how you use it that will determine if it's a bad thing or a good thing. $15 that's on this pulpit, it could be used for great things. Man, you could probably help put an orphan through school in a a third world country. You could use that to, to help fund ministries. Or you could use that same $15 for absolute wickedness. Does that make sense? And so money itself is not bad or good. It's neutral, but how you use it. And so what he's saying is you can't serve those two masters simultaneously. And so you can't be completely selfish with your money and then turn around and be completely selfless in ministry. And at best, if you figure out a way to do that, you're just a hypocrite. But those opportunities, they're going to be taken from you because in verse 11, if you can't be found faithful in unrighteous wealth, who's going to entrust you with true riches? You can't serve both God and money. And so what my as pastor, what I would encourage you is make your money bow to God. Give money, money. Be selfless with it. Allow that to go before you to do ministry. And in effect, when you do that, Make your money bow to God and say, I serve God. This giving, doing it in that way, is a joyful surrender to a greater person in a greater agenda. It dethrones me and exalts him when you use your money and you make it bow to God. Managing money well, this is kind of the big theme from the text. Managing money well puts God on the throne. Does that make sense? Then when you are shrewd and you understand it's all God's, I'm just his steward, that puts God on the throne. When you understand that eternity awaits and you can't take it with you, that puts God on the throne. Shrewdness with money opens up ministry opportunity. Guys, again, this is all aligns with what Jesus has said throughout the Gospels. In Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples again another time, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Managing money well puts God on the throne. What I'm imploring you, Anthem Church, is that we would be awesome in dealing with money, that we would be shrewd, not for the sake of growing our own kingdom, but for the sake of growing God's kingdom. I think what I would so long for you to hear today is that the ignorance is not faith. It's just ignorance. And that we would think rightly, that we would labor over how to Steward what God is entrusting with us, knowing that our faithfulness in, in stewarding those things equates to more ministry opportunities in, in, in a stewardship of things that really matter. And that we would continue to, to not allow money to be a God and serve it by simply making it bow to God and serving God with that. And again, if you weren't here, we just finished up our financial year. This isn't a message that's prompted by like, And what that means is now we're all going to pass the plate. We don't even do that here. God has so richly blessed us, and I believe that that there are so many here that are so generous. I said, praise God for that. And it aligns with what Paul's telling Timothy in 
in First uh, Timothy chapter six. It's on the screen. It says, "As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy." Tells them, charge them to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasure, uh, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that it may take hold of that which is truly life. Again, Anthem Church, it's not denying yourself treasure. It's just storing it up in the right spot. Taking hold of that which is truly life. When you don't let money in the material things of this world hold you down, but you have a kingdom mindset, understanding that we are stewards called to be shrewd with that. In there is so much freedom. And the idea that that if we could get behind that, that as Christians, we would have a right perspective on how to deal with money, not loving it, but being able to steward it, the amount of good that can come from that. You have to understand the kingdom tie there, the, the stewardship and shrewdly dealing with this well, the amount of love that we can pour out for the Lord and for others. That's the ultimate goal. Does that make sense? That we'd be in that spot. That'd be my desire, that I'd be like my, my friend, Pastor Tom, who now works for the church full-time and doesn't draw a salary because he shrewdly stewarded his money early on. Does that make sense? Be like my, my friend, and I'm going to leave his name out of it because I don't want to take his rewards away in heaven. But my buddy in Ames, who's able to, to see orphanages get started, to see kingdom works get started off of a, a pastor's salary, to see these things happen because of a right understanding and a shrewdness of money. Guys, it's not overly complicated if we would just reach out and begin to study this out, understanding what Jesus said, that our ability to steward this well is going to open up more ministry opportunities. All this is in perspective that we don't need to live for our finances, that we can live for Jesus. And we're going to celebrate communion. And I think this is so good because, again, understanding what Jesus said there, if anyone wants to save his life, he's going to lose it. If you think it's all about this life, and you're going to be sorely disappointed. But as soon as you lose your life for my sake, that's when you can truly find it. And the first step, probably this should go without saying, the first step in understanding how to shrewdly deal with money is having a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. Is having a hope in eternity that you'll be received into the family of God because you put your trust in Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, he's the only way, the truth of life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. And so as we take communion, again, it's a reminder that, that we have a hope in eternity because what Jesus Christ did on the cross, where he took our sins, bore our punishment that we deserve so that we can be forgiven. Does that make sense? And now as you begin to think about stewarding with the image of Jesus Christ, Nailed to the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That he would love us that much. Now all of a sudden that begins to frame in what we do, not only with our money, but our whole lives. And so as we take communion, I just want you to think about the love that God has poured out on us.
that he would send his son to die for us. And so as the band plays, at your own leisure, you there's two communion tables set up. And how we do this is you just take a piece of the bread, which signifies Jesus Christ's body broken, and dip it in uh, the cup and take communion. And again, the cup signifying his blood that was shed for us. And so this is for those that would identify themselves as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we would do this in remembrance of him. I'm gonna pray for us. God, thank you so much that the gospel puts it all in perspective. God, that you truly do love us and you want what is best for us. And you display that in the greatest way possible by sending your son, Jesus. And so we just thank you for the gift of Jesus. And Lord, if we do need to repent of ignorance, that we would do that at this time. And so I just invite you, if you've been ignorant, been a poor steward, that the the sons of this world have been more shrewd in dealing with money than perhaps yourself in leveraging it for kingdom purposes, I would just invite you at this time to see that as something worthy of repenting of, asking forgiveness and inviting the Lord in to help you shrewdly deal with worldly wealth so as to store up treasures in heaven. So I invite you to repent at this time and then make your way to the communion table.